Where does creativity fit into compliance? In more places than you think. Problem solving, accountability, communication, and connection. They all take creativity. Join your hosts, Tom Fox and Ronnie Feldman on Creativity and Compliance, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox along with Ronnie Feldman for our first official episode of Creativity and Compliance. Ronnie, I'm excited to explore this topic with you. So first of all, welcome, and I look forward to seeing where we go today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I love talking about creativity and compliance, and that might be a little bit strange, but here we are. Ronnie, you recently had an article that was entitled Ethics and Compliance, Role versus Reputation, The Great Irony. And I wanted to use that as really a starting point to explore this topic and thinking about your personal reputation, your corporate reputation, and how you can impact that through some of the creative ideas that you've been able to put forward. So I guess I would ask, maybe starting out, how does a person begin to think through this topic? I feel like this is sort of an open secret within the ethics and compliance community, which is that I learned this when I first entered the community about 10 years ago, when I started going to the conferences and meeting all the people that listen to this podcast, is that I had this image of what ethics compliance professionals were. And the first image is not always a good one. You think, oh my God, these are people who are going to wag the finger at me. This is the police force. These are the images that I had in my head from just being an employee in the workplace. But yet when I meet the community, you go, oh, these are people who are dedicating themselves to trying to help the their companies navigate the workplace within the rules. This is a really wonderful initiative. This is something that people should be proud of, and yet this image exists. So I think that one thing that ethics and compliance professionals need to think about before they get into how they're going to train, how they're going to communicate, what structures they're putting in place, they need to think about how to undo this reputation because you're trying to help and support employees, and they don't know that. So essentially, that's what the article is about, is just acknowledging that this exists. And once you acknowledge it that exists, you can start thinking about how to undo it. With the main point being that employees will not speak up to report problems, to ask questions, to create that speak up culture if they're afraid of you or if they're apathetic or if they're afraid in any kind of way. Ronnie, we had a case in point of exactly that this week. It's not in the corruption space, but it was certainly in the fraud and scandal space. And that, of course, was KPMG. The Securities and Exchange Commission had just a scoriating order released about KPMG. And part of that was around a cheating scandal on exams internal to KPMG. And I won't go into the details of the cheating, but a very succinct point noted by the SEC was that no one at KPMG thought enough, had the courage to, or even bothered to call the hotline and helpline. So they had a cheating scandal literally across the company, thousands and thousands of employees. It was apparently well-known within the organization and no one bothered to call the hotline. So using that as a kind of a jumping off point or an entree, what are some of the techniques that you would advocate to rebrand, particularly around uh, when you have a large reputational failure? Well, whether you have that reputational failure or not, I feel like it's important to acknowledge that just 
as human beings, many of us grow up with the idea that you don't tattletale, that, you know, that you're told that as a child, you know, don't tell on your sister or whatever, some variation of that. So ingrained in many people is this idea that we don't do that, that there's all sorts of phrases that you hear growing up as elementary school and teenagers and all that. So people are coming into it. You're not starting with a blank slate. You're starting with people don't like to get involved in sticky situations. They don't want to be a drama llama. So you have this as a starting point, which gets back to the reputational issue. I think when you're talking about creating a speak up culture, you need to acknowledge that this exists and start counterbalancing it. The way I would say you counterbalance that is it's partly a training issue, but it's very much an advertising issue. You need to start communicating that we're the kind of company that does these things. We do speak up to report problems. We have high integrity. We need to communicate that regularly and often to counterbalance that predisposition to not do those things. And I would argue you need to do that in a way that's interesting and positive so it doesn't come across as a finger-waggy, preachy thing. To me, there's nothing worse when someone goes like, we really want you to have high integrity. And then everyone says to themselves, of course I have integrity. (laughs) But from a practical matter, they're also thinking, ah, geez, I just don't want to get involved with anything that's going to mess me up. So just to continue on this point, I feel like some of the techniques you can do is one, you have to acknowledge that people feel this way. You need to directly address some of these issues. The uh, I don't like to tell on people. And you have to say, it's not that. It's part of who we are to make the workplace better. You have to put that message in as many places as possible, meaning not just a once-a-year push campaign, not just the annual compliance week, not just in a little training. Think about advertising techniques. Place the helpline message in lots of places online, have it embedded within other departments training, have it at the big town hall meetings, have little commercials that pop up in between speakers. You got to make it easy for people to find. You got to make it an interesting message and you need to acknowledge that it's part of our responsibility to make the workplace better. And the only way to do that is to report problems, ask questions and express your concerns. Ronnie, I have a somewhat of an understanding of how you could do that communicating orally or visually, I have a little bit more difficult time understanding how policies are written can help that. But you seem to believe that actual creativity can be brought to the way your policies are written. Is that a fair assessment? And so how would you suggest that be done? Well, what I'm talking about here is that your policies are often written from a legal perspective. This is what we have hold ourselves to. This is what you need to do. And it's often far too wordy. They're not constructed in a way from a user's perspective. So what I'm talking about is, sure, you may need to have a policy statement that says, legally, this is what we need to do. But really, what an employee wants to know is, how does this affect me? (laughs) How does this affect me? I found that the companies that are most successful, they'll have kind of the legal policy statement. This is what a conflict of interest is. Here's all the different ways that might come into play. And then they summarize that into like three to five bullet points. When this happens, do this. Or they provide little examples that put it into situations. And then I would go the step further is if you're starting to provide examples, now you're starting getting into training. So the examples, first of all, they could be written. Uh, They also could be filmed. They also could be 
done through an audio podcast where you tell a story. There's lots of ways to bring, to make an intangible policy tangible by not thinking like a lawyer, by thinking about like, how does this connect to a human being and what can you do to help them think about practically how they can do things differently? Did I answer the question? Did that cover it? You did. Yeah. You did because the phrase I would use is you shouldn't have policies written by lawyers for lawyers. You have to write them for normal humans. Well, yeah, and this is something that we all do, particularly, and I get that there needs to be an aesthetic within the corporate environment that you need to write things professionally and well. I also think that that makes things kind of milk toast sometimes that, you know, they're not interesting to read. So I think one thing to think about is once you realize what you want to say, think about how they best can receive it, because <laughs> then you can maybe wrap that message in a more entertaining way. Okay. And then how does all of this wrap around, Ronnie, into communicating one-on-one with your business colleagues? Well, I actually want to do a whole podcast on this, so I'll touch on it, but then maybe we'll put a bookmark in this to talk about it more thoroughly. I come from an improvisational background, and there's some interesting techniques that improvisers have in their toolbox that help them be funny and interesting on stage that can be applied to professionals to be better communicators and collaborators. So what I would say to answer your question is, you know, we've all heard the phrase like compliance, people won't go to the office of no and compliance is the speed bump or they're the people that are going to slow down the wonderful innovative things that we as business people are trying to do. If you're viewed as the, the people that say no, then they won't come approach you with their problems, they'll start working around you. So when you talk about how you create a speak-up culture, it's partly how you communicate as a one-on-one with your business partners and with the people that come to you with their problems. If someone comes to you and says, hey, can I do this? And you're like, no, you can't do that. And you scare the hell out of them, then they may not come to you again. You need to be grateful that people are coming to you in the first place. You need to reward that behavior and teach. If you go to that business meeting and everyone's sitting on edge because they're afraid to say something wrong, well, then there's a problem. So I'm just pointing out that one thing that we can all do is think about having a more positive, more welcoming, more what I would say yes and mindset to how we communicate with people so that we, on an individual level, start undoing that reputation. They're like, oh, these are the people who are trying to help me. Ronnie, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but this has been a great episode, and I greatly look forward to continuing the conversation. Hey, yeah, thanks. Looking forward to talking about it some more. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Creativity and Compliance. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.